0: On this episode of Stuff That Matters, we're joined by former New Hope resident, Kiara Grace Nally. Kiara is the epitome of a success story, having entered New Hope as a last resort during her mental health journey and battle she faced. She not only won those battles, but she has become an inspiration for many that were in her shoes. Kiara has been gracious enough to return to New Hope twice to speak with the youth, and like she has done to a live audience, she did on this podcast, sharing her story of hope, resilience, struggle, and constant determination. We cover what led to her entering into New Hope, the challenges she faced, the relationship with her mother, and what life is like for her now as she's getting ready to celebrate 12 years removed from mental health treatment facilities and, as she puts it, 15 years of being alive. So prepare to be enlightened and revitalized by the story of Kiara Grace Now. so excited to welcome on Kiara Grace Nally, former resident at New Hope, uh, but so much more. She's, uh, I guess she she's a public speaker now, uh, having been back to New Hope a couple times to speak with staff and residents, uh, working towards her master. She's also uh, got some some exciting things in in the works as well that we'll discuss, I'm sure, later in this episode. But Kiara, thank you so much for joining us here and Stuff That Matters.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Kiara, thanks. This is going to be awesome. So excited for the conversation.
2: just start with telling folks a little bit more about who you are um again you and I connected maybe a year and a half ago or something yes Um, but um, yes yeah tell folks about just a little bit about your story let's just start there
1: yeah absolutely so um I'm Kiara I uh am going on 30 years old so it's been about um 15 years or so since my journey has begun Begun within my mental health journey and, and understanding myself and all of that. So, um, a lot about me, I guess I'll, I'm going to just yeah. kind of tell it for free and pour out. Um, so I started, um, kind of having a lot of, um, struggles when I was around 12 years old. Um, my mom realized that, I was becoming um, depressed. I was not wanting to be with friends. I was not wanting to be around people my own age. I was being heavily bullied um, at school and in my neighborhood. And um, I moved from up north in Massachusetts to North Carolina at eight years old. And I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, Here I was coming from a predominantly white um, hometown to a predominantly Black hometown. And I've, I'm multiracial and I felt like I didn't fit anywhere uh, back home and in my new home in North Carolina. Um, so the the bullying began um, in third grade and it didn't really hit me until I was 12. Um, and so starting middle school was really rough on me. Um, and at 15, that's when, and I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of just go for
2: it. Okay.
1: Awesome. <laughs> so um at 15, I decided that it was just too hard to live. Um, and I started kind of having these thoughts of suicidal thoughts and just how do I escape what I'm going through and what I'm feeling and and just all of my sadness. Um, so I um, tried I attempted to take my life at 15 years old. Um, thank goodness I was unsuccessful. Um, however, it just it kind of snowballed me into the um, I was in group homes, I was in mental health facilities. I was in level 4 lockdown facilities, which are facilities that, are to keep you safe, but it's really hard to not feel like a prisoner, not just within your own body, but in the environment that you're in. Um, so since 15, I've been trying to unimprison myself. Um, so Mm. when, um, so from 15 to almost 18 years old, I was either hospitalized. I was either, um, in a institution, um, in a group home or a treatment facility. So um, it's the the bright side of that is it's offered me so many opportunities to see the world. I've been as far as Utah. Um, I've been close to home in the South. And it's just it's really opened my eyes and it's created me to be the person I am today. I'm empathetic, which I was really lacking in my youth. Um, I am able to understand where people are coming from. And also you can tell me anything and I will not bat an eye. Like I can, I can hear the worst. I can hear the best and we're going to get through each moment. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit of me kind of, scattered all over the place, but you all are, Uh, I'm an open book. (laughs)
2: uh, Again, you know, Kara, again, I just want to say thank you off off top for, you know, being willing to share your story, which is not um, probably unique, right? I mean, there's thousands of young people in treatment settings all across the country, and there's thousands and thousands of folks who have had that in their past, and we just don't hear from people too much. There's probably I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's shame. I'm sure there is, you know, know, tell me, tell me about, I'm is something I'm just curious about. And we sometimes script out some questions and most of the time we don't use them. We just start talking. So, but what's hitting me is, um, you know, what, when did you, you know, now you're really kind of this, like, you know, you're an advocate you, you've come back, like you, you use your story to impact other people. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that I could understand why they would just want that chapter of their life to be sealed away in a book and never talked about again. Absolutely. You talk about like, how did, how did that transformation or shift happen?
1: So, I noticed that no one understood what I was going through. um, And no one understood what my mom was going through. So, there was such a lack of support for us when we left the treatment facility world. Like, when I would be discharged from the hospital, let's say, and I would return to school that following Monday, it's like I've had this whole experience that no one could relate to. And if they could relate to it, they weren't welcome to speak about it. Um, I remember turning, um, returning to seventh grade. And, um, it had my seventh grade teacher knew that I was out because I was hospitalized and she had took it upon herself to share with the class that I was in a mental hospital. Uh, So, yeah. So when I returned, everyone was like, Oh my goodness, she's crazy. She's this stay away from her. My parents uh, say, I can't hang out with you anymore because it's going to rub off on me. Just all of uh, these things that is like, your worst nightmare as an adolescent. And it, it, it made me feel shame and embarrassment, but then I returned home and my mom just let me know, you don't need to be embarrassed. I mean, my family has a long line of mental health, um, and alcoholism, drug addiction, and all these different things. So it's really helped coming from a family where we speak about everything. We don't mm-hmm. hold things back. We um, allow each other to share and we do not judge. So I wanted to open that space for my peers. I wanted my mom to have an outlet because I know of my friends who I was deep with back then, they were going through things that they would not a lot of them probably needed to have more help than they were given. So I wanted to kind of break that stigma of um not being able to share things that really matter <laughs> because mm. it's 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 the stuff that matters that we need to speak about. And unfortunately, on the top of that list is mental health, but that is the last thing that people want to bring up even now. So and it it it's kind of Um, it jolts me every time when someone holds back that piece of them, because that's really what, for me, that is my foundation of how I am able to get through different roadblocks that still happen in my day to day. Um, So yeah, long story short, I just did not want to be the person who was acting like something wasn't going on with me. Um, And I, and I see that when I open my door, other people open their door with me and, and then we're able to have this transparency and they're able to have a safe space. I'm able to have a safe space and it can feel normalized to share what you're going through because it, it is all normal. It's just, we make it such an unnormal concept to speak about mental health or the things we're going through or needing a mental health day or a mental break or all these things, but it's what we all need, you know, our mm. mental health is health. So mm. I just want it to just be a part of the conversation and not like, Oh my goodness, I cannot believe that you're going through this. Who goes through this? Cause we all do. <laughs> so mm. we don't have to hide. I I think it's
3: fascinating in, in the way you presented that. And one of the things that made me think about, I got a lot of things I'm thinking about to be, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm going back. I have a third grade kid who got bullied last year, right? And mm. and I, we as a family dealt with that. We dealt with a, a teacher and administration that was supportive, but it didn't stop these behaviors. And and although he's very honest and, and is a mature little third grader, and he can tell us things, I'm always in the back of my mind, I thought, well, what else is he not telling us, right? At third right. grade. But that's, right. I mean that's not here it's really something i was thinking about at the beginning of your story what what the the last few seconds i started thinking about um what drives this kind of question or conversation is it seems to me as a society where there's more awareness and, and willingness to talk about mental health i see i'm a big sports fan right yes and we have these athletes who I think are normalizing conversations around mental health. I can nice. think of a handful off the top of my head. Right. But I also see part I'm talking with my hands off camera a little bit. I also <laughs> see um technology kind of intermixing with our culture and society where things are are advertised or shared that everything's perfect, right? Yes, and I think of much so. TikTok or Instagram, and I don't mean to throw those two things under a bus, but I happen to know a family friend mm-hmm. who's um, middle to lower in class, fa- uh, middle class, lower class family. You know, they do well. They do OK. Their child has over 100,000 followers on a platform. Wow. And that child takes pictures in front of cars that aren't theirs, mm-hmm. um, on buildings in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, on um that make it look like they're a big you know they they have a penthouse and they don't right mm-hmm. and so i see these this hmm. this intersection of these two worlds where we're becoming a little bit more honest about mental health but i also see more dishonesty in how we're presenting ourselves as being really well and really well
1: off absolutely oh, am i
3: the only person
1: no not at all and thank you for sharing about your third grader mike um j- just to touch on that real quick i I'm so glad that your third grader has you both as parents, that the conversation is open because being bullied, I mean, even now for me, I'm dealing with healing from that. Um, I used to get bullied a lot about my clothing. And so now as an adult, I always make sure that my clothes look a certain way and I'm very particular and I overshop shop and over purchase because there's, there's little Kiara back here who says, you better make sure you look together or someone's going to say something bad about you so i'm i'm so glad that the conversation is opened at home and i hope that that stops because it's it's not okay to bully and it's not a good feeling to receive the bullying so yeah, um and yes i'm i'm so grateful that social media was not what it was while I was going through what I was going through. I mean, we had MySpace and we had Catfishers and all of those things, but we did not have yet the the different ways to um misrepresent yourself not to this level um and i certainly see i mean i've been i've done that before as well where i'm happy in this post or i'm posting a picture from three weeks ago when i'm here or there but i'm in my room crying because i'm i can't get out of bed and it's like we only want to show the best parts of us and we only want to push out um things that will make our peers proud of us, if you will. And um, it's just, it's hurtful to other people. And especially when you're going through things in your life and you see someone in front of a Jaguar or someone in in a penthouse suite and they're 18 years old and how did they make it? And I can't even pass my math course. You know, it's just like, it's kind of a mind trip. And for people who are, misrepresenting themselves I feel like they become um really desensitized to what they're truly going through because it's like their social media represents them as this person and they're truly you know this person who it disconnects them from who they really are because that's not who they are to the world so if the world perceives you one way but you're who you are this way then how do you keep that up so yeah yeah very I, difficult that's a really good point yeah and
2: I, and I think about that a lot again I, I I you know and I think covid did something there because everybody went online and then also everybody seemed to be struck so there did seem to be this like normalizing of hey we all have anxiety we all have something yes but it all it, it also sometimes and I this is this could be a bad take it could be a bad part, but also sometimes it trivialized some things too it's like
1: yeah
2: I'm depressed because my Starbucks order wasn't done well it's like right "Ah," like again like there's a there's some line here and i also still think Mm -hmm. most people just most people out there don't know what residential treatment facilities are they don't know that after a suicide attempt kids go to a hospital they have no clue if they know that what the heck that experience is like for that Mm -hmm. kid that seventh grade teacher I'm assuming wasn't, um, just like a evil, terrible person. It was just an ignorant person. Like, Absolutely. Oh, no, you know, yeah. so there's still so much, sometimes it feels like, um, we've made progress, but there's so much more work to do to actually have like a really authentic conversation about truly what this is. Um, yes. yes, everybody's got some of this, but, um, chronic depression and suicidal thoughts that, uh, you wake up with every day that won't go away. That's a that that's a thing that people need to reckon with. Like there's a lot more education that need to go into yeah. that. My wife working at New Hope is to provide students with support in the social, emotional, and academic aspect of their life.
4: My why for being here is because these kids need somebody to hear them and see them.
1: My why is I've been in the communities for so long with the residents now and I get the opportunity to work with the families and meet the families. My why
4: is I like to help. I think I was
3: born with that in my nature, so I like helping. I help everyone in the building, as well as our residents and their
2: families. My why is because I want to create a safe environment, a comfortable environment for my
1: students
0: to be able to learn and
1: grow. I put smiles on kids' faces that I love seeing every single day. I am at New Hope because this is a place that inspires change for young kids and for adults. I'm here at New Hope, working to make a difference in these young girls' and boys' lives, giving them an example of what a role model should be and leading them and guiding them in the right direction. My why for being in New Hope is the residents. I love the kids. It's awesome.
0: My why is seeing the change and the process being made.
1: It's just awesome to see them come in, not want to be here. Then they get here, it's like being a family.
2: I'm curious can you share again just from a perspective of somebody who's lived it Mm -hmm. that first time that you went into a hospital and you were overnight at a place that wasn't your home with a bunch of strangers just I'd I'd love to for our audience to kind of hear what's a firsthand account of what those experiences are like.
1: Yes um, it was this is probably going to sound odd to so many listeners but it was probably the most at peace that I had felt ever because I was around people who I didn't have to hide from. Um, I was around adults who understood me and what I was battling. Um, I, I was just, I was able to truly like feel normal in such an, uh, it's in a situation that not many people experience it felt like okay I'm home if you will and it actually it's interesting that you you ask that because at that specific mental hospital I was there eight times eight different times at that same hospital um on the well two different wings but those the first seven times the first seven times on the same wing I had the same staff and each time I went back it was like I was home. And I think that final that eighth time I was there, I I, I mean the staff would always make light of it, oh Kiara is back, oh, welcome back home and things like that. But it, the eighth time one of um, the staff on site let me know like this you cannot continue this we are here when you need us but it started becoming a want for me I wanted to be I wanted to feel safe I wanted to be able to feel free and I needed structure and all of these things that I was not getting outside of a facility or the the mental health hospital um Hmm. I I just I yearned for so um looking back Hmm. at, at it in my adult mind I'm realizing that that was what was happening but you know, of course I was not in the right state of mind to, to understand that, to comprehend what was happening back then. But, Mm. um, it's funny to think back because I don't, I don't get the anxiety feeling when I think back of the, um, a lot of the treatment facilities where I was, I get a lot of anxiety when I think of the schools and, um, my friends and the people and and all of those things. So, um, Mm. yeah, my first time I felt like, a human and not just like I was on display um, for people to pick at um, because that was the first space that I was able to be around people who are my age that weren't bullying me. So it was really, really cool to, to experience that. And even when I was being my full authentic self going through things, so yeah.
2: That is like, I did not expect that answer. <laughs> uh, and that is um, Fascinating heartbreaking yeah and it like just like and but also but good on that staff I mean that staff or whatever was happening there was creating mm-hmm. some kind of an environment that was good it was it was meeting a need yeah on some level so they must have been doing something right but obviously that's not um that's not a sustainable
1: life.
2: no good on that staff at some point to say hey I yeah. love you but yeah. also I love you and I, because I love you, I never want to see you again. At a certain exactly. Moment.
1: And and that was, and I don't want to paint this picture that that's the place to be, and it's like a spa right. resort because it's not, not, you know, right, it's right. it was not like a homey feeling. It wasn't um, you know, a long stay. It was it was simply like my mind feeling calm. It it's was like all it's, it's the a, internal
2: refuge, it was a refuge from pain. Correct. It exactly. It was a refuge from
1: pain. Yes, and my first time, oh, I'm so sorry to cut you off, Mike. (laughs) I was just going to say, it speaks to the power of the group, right? The power of being
3: around folks who know what you're going through, Mm
1: -hmm. the power
3: of shared experiences. If you started this podcast by saying you weren't sure if you felt like you belonged in your home state of Massachusetts, and then moving to the South, but you belonged in that space, right? Because you had others who could uh, understand, empathize, relate, and Absolutely. I think that and that goes to normalizing, communicating, sharing, and what you're doing now to be impactful. So I don't know. I was just I'm kind of catching up a little that's bit. That's
1: such a no, no, that's such a great point, Mike. Cause I have, I did not think about it that way until you just said that, like it, especially moving here and just not feeling home and then I finally get to a place where it's like oh this is this is home because yeah. it was it was my mom and I here my mom um is and was a single mom and single parent and she was doing the best she she could to make ends meet and make sure her daughter who was suicidal and depressed and anxiety-ridden and all of these things making sure I was safe so it was just it was nice to not feel that isolation of what had been happening and what had been transpiring um, essentially since I I moved to North Carolina. So the the first time that I was at the treatment facility, which is one of the main reasons why I, or I'm sorry, at the mental hospital, which is one of the reasons why I do not want for parents or guardians or advocates to be scared to send their youth to mental um, health wards and mental hospitals. But everything poured out of me i was able to share with my mom that i had been being sexually abused i was able to share that i was actively wanting to harm myself and and this was not a new feeling and Mm. it was i was it, it gave me my voice um and it it just it allowed for also for my mom to have a voice because Had we been having this conversation and she was sitting on the couch beside me, we may not have gotten to that point successfully. Mm -hmm. So it allowed both of us that that freedom to speak to each other. And also we didn't we had this conversation over the phone which was really hard for my mom. But for me, I didn't have to face my mom. I I was able to, to go to sleep in the mental hospital and not have to talk about it for the rest of the night or look at her the next morning. So it really gave me a voice to speak and feel heard and understood and then kind of shut it back down so I could wait to heal from it moving forward.
2: You've um, and thanks for sharing that. Again, this absolutely is a, I don't know, I don't know if you have nine hours to spend because I could talk. To you I know, you. right. I could
4: talk. On it. <laughs> you have
2: you, mentioned your mom a lot. Yes, uh, just just let's let's camp out and like just tell us about your mom.
1: Yes. So my mom is my best friend. It's been like that since I couldn't remember. Um She's been a single mom my whole life. Now she was married for a portion of the time, but even then she was my active parent, active role model. Um, Her name is Nina and she's just, she's just awesome. She's been awesome my whole life. And um, when we were going through um, everything, um, my mom has battled depression and anxiety, and then moving here, I struggled with it. We struggled together. it was a very scary time, as I'm sure it is for any parent when you're scared. Like, my mom was scared to leave me alone because she didn't know. Um, and I think to, to um, a point, she was scared to come home to whatever state I was in was was she going to find that I had left home without asking was she going to find that you know um I had snuck someone in snuck out that I tried to harm myself any of these things it just was a bottle of anxiety um and I think the hardest part for her is she was in self-protection mode, um, and advocating mode. So she needed to make sure that my needs were met. She needed to make sure that her needs were met, but there was no healing within that for her. So if we have this same conversation with my mom, it's almost like this trauma happened yesterday and mm-hmm. it didn't happen 15, 14, 13 years ago. So it's, I think that, um, my mom being such a strong person and understanding of mental health and all these things, it was still very hard for her to experience this with me. And it is still very hard. It's a very hard topic for us to talk about because we saw it in two different lights, of course. So it's, but um, but no, my mom is just easy. She's one of those people who you feel like you've known forever and um, you can talk to about anything. She won't bat an eye. And she's also one of those people who will just have your back no matter what. Um, so she's pretty yeah. awesome. I can't wait for you all to to connect with her and meet with her someday, hopefully.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, cause again, I think you've, um, you've always done a good job in our conversations of again, just empathizing with the parent perspective of all of this yeah. because um this is not although it probably feels at times like it's a journey that people are taken by themselves like the whole right. family is taking it good bad or indifferent the, the, you know, if it, absolutely if it works it usually only works because the whole family is shifting or changing or adjusting and if it doesn't work it's probably because Maybe the kid's trying to change, but the parent's not there yet. Or yes, suffer, so. yes,
1: yes. And I think um, to speak transparently, one of the hardest parts when I would return home was that my mom was still healing from the trauma that I had left with. I, so I was gone and I was doing all this healing, but she was still advocating for me on the phone making sure that the the bills were paid for for my treatment facility so they don't release me early and all of these things and so by the time I got home it's like she's huffing and puffing like oh my goodness I've just been through so much for the past six months that you've been gone healing I have not even had time to heal myself so there was a lot of well mom I I got through that we don't have to talk about that anymore but she still needed to and needs to kind of break things down so that I can understand where she's coming from. But yeah, I, I definitely saw my mom suffer through that time because she she really couldn't vent to my family, um, her friends, because everyone was like, what are you doing? Just bring her home, you know, be her mom. What are you like? You can't send her and have someone else parent her, but they weren't understanding that, they weren't she she tried that <laughs> you know it, and that was unsuccessful so now we need help so how just, how yeah. long
0: did that that process okay. take uh you know when when you returned home mending that relationship with your mom your friends as well uh, yeah. re, Where when you finally got to a place of, of normalcy where you, you you were finally past you know all the issues from you know from previous years how, how long did that take
1: so with my mom it's so I got home. I was getting ready to turn 18, and that was the last time that I was um, institutionalized in any way, shape, or form. And it took shorter for me than it did my mom because I knew where I was. Mm. Um, but my mom was still like, "Okay, when is when is she going to be triggered? When are we going to have to make another call to, you know, try a new facility?" You know, and it was like that for years honestly, where, where my mom was like, something's going to happen or, you know, are you okay? Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Um, so, but for me, once I got home that last time from new hope, I knew I was, I wasn't going back. I knew that I was in a much better space. I knew that, that, that was, that was it getting ready to turn 18 and I needed to get my stuff together. So, um, but even now, honestly, Patrick, when I am going through my lows and my mom's like, are you okay? Someone check on Kiara. Like I, I, you know, we need help. She still has that automatic, like her brain just goes to, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to my child? What like she needs us, or she's going to need help and, and this and that. So I don't, I don't, I, I don't think there was an end time of, of that. And I think it it does go past because of course, as a parent, you worry. Um, I know I'm going to worry about my daughter forever, but this is like, this is different. This is a different level of, um, she's almost ready to activate. So mm-hmm. so I don't think it stopped yet for her. I don't think that it's truly like Kiara is going to be okay forever in her mind yet. So, but- um, I can but, see that. I can see it. yeah. it's hard, hard to turn that switch absolutely
2: and it probably a, again that progress feels fragile maybe for her yes Then again i just can't imagine you know just the level of um you know as a parent if 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 any of our kids came to us and said you know i've been uh being hurt and mm-hmm. abused by somebody and you haven't known about it right uh, I, I can't imagine a worse conversation you know
1: absolutely well I know so it's there's the the guilt or what am I doing wrong or what did I do wrong and it's and I think that of course as parents we never want our children to go through anything but some things are truly out of our control like my mom could not have done anything different because you know unfortunately I'm a firm believer of what is meant to happen will happen. And it's kind of written. So I think that everything that's happened to me, it's so I could be who I am now. And I, I think what my mom, the next step for my mom is, is healing that part of our lives together so that we can get through the trauma response that that happens. So
3: I think I know the answer to this, but let me throw it at you anyway. And they create a little bit of a, long, a, a different conversation. But my assumption is, or the question is, did your mom have any support groups to lean on or become involved in when you were in treatment facilities or psychiatric hospitals that you know of?
1: To my knowledge, no. Um, no, not at all. So she did connect with one of the um, mothers who was in the treatment facility with me, um, and or her daughter was with me. And um, funny enough, this mother worked at Walmart, and my mom would go to Walmart and talk to her in the line about what was happening with their daughters. Um, but that was about the extent of support that my mom received was the five minute checkout time <laughs> in Walmart to think about, to touch think base about that for
3: a hot minute, right? Absolutely. So- My mind keeps going to, and having worked in residential settings, really my entire career, we've always, I can say very confident, we've always tried to do this in some shape, fashion, or form, have some sort of parent group support kind of thing. Yes. Never really, really materialized for any Mm -hmm. meaningful length of time. There's a lot of barriers, whether it's distance, whatever it may or may not be, people's schedules. Yes, and then my mind goes back to I don't know why I'm hooked on social media today because I'm really not even a social media person, but I know in the community that I live in there seems to be a group for almost everything. Like mm-hmm. hey, yes, same yes. Group for boys who play baseball or right. Sing uh, moms of you know <laughs> moms of Apex, North Carolina. Green, yes. you know there's all these groups, and I think at some point it would be wonderful to get to a group of parents with kids who struggle with mental illness or substance use or whatever, Mm -hmm. where there's no, there's no value judgment to that. It's, it is what it is. Let's get support and maybe those exist. I don't know, but that's where I'm going to.
1: So I think they do to an extent. I think that it is so hard for parents, A, to admit that something's going on with their child. So that's the first thing. And then admitting it to themselves and then to others and I feel like when you have a child who's struggling with with mental health it's so hard to not feel like it's because of something you did and I think as parents we try to put on this face like we're a great parent you know everything we love our child to death nothing they don't do anything wrong we don't do anything wrong and it's we try to fuel that to the people around us but in all actuality it's all a learning experience you know and it's mental health being that I'm so happy we're getting to the place where it's not, people don't wince when you bring it up, but it's still kind of one of those things that it's like, yeah, we could talk about it, but I'm fine. Or my kid is fine. So. Right. I, yeah, think, I think those, I think young yeah.
2: people are almost, young people on social media are almost more authentic than. Uh, yes. Oh my baby, goodness. Baby boomers Absolutely. It's like, like young people actually get, they use that to get, real again sometimes it might be magnified or something like that but yeah, it's, it's parents who are the most full of absolute yes yes <laughs> yeah, it's like no
1: absolutely
2: like, like being a parent is an absolute you know daily crap show like sometimes like yeah. it is oh just my not, goodness but like yes. that's actually so yeah the parent support group or or again being um okay being lumped in with hey you know my my kid was um in these tree, but gosh, what what an isolating journey is, is yes. ultimately just, and, and isolation sucks. That does not help.
1: It it absolutely does. And I think the one of the main things with being a parent who is unable to kind of connect to that your child is struggling, being the child of that parent is, is hard too, because it's like, okay, we have to keep a secret. I have to keep this in. I have to control my mental health, you know, so that my, my parent doesn't feel like ashamed or sad, or like they're doing something wrong. And, I've lived in that realm too, where right. my mom, I never felt like my mom was ashamed of that, but I felt like, oh my gosh, I need to really put on a happy face to show that my mom is doing nothing wrong. So- right. um, You have to
2: kind of carry her yeah. guilt while you're yes. on this journey. You know, you were the, yeah, it's, you know, you're the victim of, or the survivor of trauma. Yes. And you're going yeah. through this crazy journey of three years, but you're also cognizant That's- of how is my journey affecting other people I love? Exactly. So much on a young person's shoulders, on anybody's shoulders.
1: Um, right. So I think a support group for, for parents and and just anyone who has someone in their life who is struggling with mental health, I I hope that comes to fruition and, and that people can be transparent. I know that in one of the groups that I'm in, they have an option to um, post anonymously. And a lot of the parents post anonymously because it's something that Unfortunately, they can be ridiculed for um, whatever question they're asking. So I think that also offers some, some type of safe space that I don't, they don't have to know it's me, but I still need to put this out there.
4: New hope, our name, our promise. Founded in 1987 by Dr. George Orvin, New Hope has been a beacon of hope and healing for youth across the country for decades and is committed to expanding our impact across the Carolinas and beyond. At our flagship 150-bed treatment facility in Rock Hill, South Carolina, we provide 24-7 residential behavioral health care to male and female youth with significant mental health challenges. Our team of behavioral healthcare experts deliver comprehensive care in a safe and structured environment. When a youth enters our care, they are often at the lowest point in their life. They've endured years of trauma and rejection. They have accepted a narrative that their life is hopeless, that they are destined to repeat a cycle of despair. That's where we come in, We are here to provide new hope to every youth in our care. New hope through therapy that breaks down walls and builds up their self-worth. New hope through teachers and education tailored to their unique needs. New hope through round-the-clock medical staff ensuring their physical health. New hope through recreation, play, and new experiences that develop life skills. And new hope through the healing power of Positive relationships with every one of our team members. We break cycles. We rewrite life stories. It's our name. It's our promise. We are new hope.
2: so again, you had a long, which again is not, I don't think, completely unique. It's not unique in the youth that we see right, know, multiple hospitalizations multiple treatments uh, and i think there's this notion sometimes that again if if the first time you went to that hospital if you didn't come back perfect and fine and never went back that right. there was some kind of failure there
1: absolutely um
2: i don't you know and i don't know how to measure that i don't know what that looks like but at some point clearly in your journey i'm curious mm-hmm. like what turned was it like, did you hit a rock bottom of just like I am freaking exhausted yes. from this? Or was it like what what actually was the linchpin? Um that changed the site? Sounds like you kind of got into a cycle of in and out, in and out, in and out. And I'm yes. so interested to hear Well, I
1: got from. upset because I was so before um arriving at my last stopping point, if you will, within my treatment um, facility journey, um, I was at a group home where it was not a safe space. It was not, um, it was not good. And it, and it definitely created more traumas for me. So then I went to a mental hospital um, and then that's when I was brought to New Hope. And when I had that experience, it was almost like, okay, this is not working. This it, it almost like put a light bulb in my head. Like, yara, what are you doing? Like, you need, this is not, this is not playtime. This is not, you're going to just kind of go through your youth like this. Like, I, and I got really upset because I felt like at that point I had missed out on so much of my life. And I felt like all of my friends were just, really enjoying their lives and getting to do the, the um, just the things in sequential order. And I just felt like I was just bopping in and out and I wanted consistency and I didn't want my consistency to be in a treatment facility. So um, I came to new hope, very upset. And um I was just like, I, I have to make this work and I need to figure this out because I'm I'm tired of I'm tired of coasting. And um so so that's that's kind of what ignited that. Um and I also knew that 18-year-olds aren't as cute as 17-year-olds when they do something that is against the law or you know, mess up in school. So I knew that, you know, it time was was, was ticking. Okay. Right. So that for me was was what happened because when I went to that group home and kind of accrued more trauma, if you will, I realized that you can heal in treatment facilities, but sometimes you leave with more traumas than when you arrived. And um, it, I was, I was just done. I was done with with what that Kiara was willing to put up with and kind of had to start rebuild, rebuilding myself. Um, So it just was time. It just was time. And I think so many people's time and rock bottom is, is different. And sometimes that's after one trip, sometimes that's after eight trip trips to, you know, these different facilities, but yeah, for me, it was, that horrible experience, and just like, oh my goodness, I've been doing this for years. And right. why? <laughs> so I, w- I was just tired of missing life. And also, I saw that life could be different than what I had been living. So I was seeing people who were happy, who were having fun, and, you know, thriving. And I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> why is this so hard for me? So it was asking those difficult questions to myself.
2: I mean, it's amazing. Like I, I say this about the youth that we serve a lot. Uh, is I'm just amazed that they haven't given up yet. When yes. when I when I read their journey, like when I read their journey, and then I just think about my life that has not been perfect, but has certainly been full of a lot of privilege. I just I can't right. imagine like the 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 willpower. It sounds like you kind of willed yourself yeah. to a place where you're just like. I'm sick of this. I'm going to try. What did that look? Did that look like, um, you know, in previous stops, did you kind of like, yeah, kind of this therapist, I'm going to shrug off this therapy. I'm just going to I'm kind well, of, kind of go through the motions. And then you really just started digging in. How did that, what did that? It
1: it's look so like? interesting. You say that because um we get so desensitized to our own journeys. And when you surround yourself with people who are also going through things or the thick of it, then your stuff doesn't feel as bad. And so I think what transitioned for me is I wanted to surround myself with people who were truly better than me. They were doing really well in their lives and they were who I was aspiring to be, but they didn't want to be around me because I wasn't able to almost keep up. Like I wasn't able to inspire them yet. I wasn't able to kind of be on their level, which is not a slight to me. It just, we were in different places in our lives, but I wanted to be where they were. So I think that, that, um, the groups changing, uh, definitely helped. but being in different facilities, when people have Problems that are less than you or far greater than you, it's kind of like, oh, I'm I'm doing fine. I'm I'm not as bad off as this person, or you know, maybe I could be doing better. And but it's kind of just like, um, I fit in here. So um, but to to answer your question, yes, I've definitely worked the system. And when you're in the system for so long, you're able to um kind of play the game. Like, Oh no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy now. I can go home now. I'm, you know, and you kind of just feed them what they're wanting, but it only ends up hurting you because you're not working through your stuff. You're just, you know, pushing it off, pushing it off. So just as, as what I would do at home, pushing it off, pushing it off until I just overflow. You are uh,
0: specifically to your time at new hope. Uh, maybe this was a staff member or, you know, one of the services that w- was provided. W- what had the most profound impact on you during your time at New Hope and really, you know, made a significant change?
1: Yeah, I was I was humanized at New Hope. And by that, I mean, we got to um, do things that I would do if I were home and had freedom. Like I didn't feel so confined. Um, I remember getting my hair done. I remember doing like activities. We went to um to the i don't know if it's still there but it was there was a nursing home right beside new hope and we got to meet um and sing carols for the residents there and um when you're going through like this journey and people sometimes people look at you with fear like i don't know what what she's going to do next when we went to the um nursing home and got to speak with the residents they just wanted to see us and they just wanted to be around us and hold our hands and there was no fear there and no judgment and they knew where we were visiting from right. but it felt like oh I'm able to help someone like I'm not the one being helped this time um so I would say that was mm. the most impactful like being in a situation where you kind of feel like you're at the mercy of everyone else but then that same situation puts you in a, in a different situation that here we're giving you these people to make happy. And it's not, it's, you don't have to be the one that's happy in this situation, but I learned that making other people happy was just, it just filled my soul. So yeah, that was, that was probably one of my favorite.
2: I'm curious, what would you say? And and I think you're, you know, I think you're doing this now, you have done this, but you know, I'd love what, what would you say to somebody who's, you know, 14, going through some of the things you were going through, yeah. if you had the opportunity to talk to them now, and then what would you say to that, uh, somebody who loves that person who's trying to walk with them on that journey too?
1: Right. To both of them, I would say to put themselves first as individuals. Because one of the things that I think my mom and I did with each other is I put her first and she put me first and we forgot about ourselves and that our needs needed to be met so that we could meet each other's needs. Um, And it's, yeah, I would say finding something that is meant for you and it makes you happy. You're not doing it for anyone else. You're doing it for yourself because that's what helps you learn who you are and gets to the root of, of what's happening. Um, so much of my youth, I was worrying about what other people felt about me, um, how I was making other people feel. And by doing that, I was losing myself and I didn't even realize it. And by the time, even now when people are like, who are you, Kiara? I have to think like, who am I? Because I have these people-pleasing tendencies that so many people do. Um, But yeah, I I would say taking a step back and just understanding who you are would be my first step and finding what makes you happy and not just what makes the crowd happy, but what, when you talk about it, what makes you smile, what is going to ignite that passion inside of you? Because then you're reintroducing yourself to yourself.
2: And what is life like now? What What is, tell us about your life. Tell us about your family. Tell us about yeah. what your journey is now. Again. um, yeah, It's just amazing. Your, your stories. We could, we could talk about, that for so long, but you're just tell us everything that you're doing now. I uh, just love you
1: absolutely. It. Um, so I I know I <clears throat> started the session off a little heavy, um, but I I say that to say in September I will be not only celebrating my 30th birthday, but I will be selling celebrating 15 years of being alive since my suicide attempt. So that is something, and I'll be spending it in Utah. Um, thank you. I'll be spending it in Utah, um, where I was in a treatment facility. So it's kind of, it's a full circle moment. Um, and I'm, I'm just super excited. And now I will get to share that with my husband and our six-year-old daughter. Um, and it's just, it's, I still cannot believe that life is this amazing when it felt like it, I would never get to this point. Um, I got married back in October um, and I remember looking at everyone in our wedding party and just being like, oh my gosh, it's, it's finally my turn. Like Mm. I didn't, and I get that feeling often, like, oh my gosh, it's finally my turn. I have a job I really love, or I'm doing the things I, I like to do, or I get to go on this awesome trip or vacation or experience these things. And I, it's just, it's breathtaking. So life for me, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, um, I'm I'm a big sister, Um, I'm a little sister, which I found out later in life that I have older siblings, Um, so everything is just coming together, and um, I still, I don't want to paint this picture that my life is perfect and that I don't still struggle because I do. But um my struggle looks a lot different now. I'm able I have an amazing boss who I'm able to say, I think I need a mental health day tomorrow. And no questions asked, you know, just let us know when you're back. And um it's kind of like I set myself up for for my type of life, um, I know I need a job that I can ask for a mental health day. I know I need to be able to take breaks. Um, and yeah, it's life is really really fun, really really fun and happy. And even when it's not fun and happy, it's like I know that it's going to continue. Whereas it's before it was like everything's crashing. I don't know what to do. I don't want to do this anymore. But it's like. I always want to do it. So Mm. life is good. Thank you for asking that.
0: Well, we could keep going for another uh, (laughs) uh, three and a half, four hours. But one of the things that we'd like to do on stuff that matters is uh, in closing, ask you uh, in your own words, this could be, you know, three to four key uh, points of emphasis. You really want to hammer home and uh, share with the audience for you. What is the stuff that matters?
1: Putting yourself first, Um, and by that, I mean your self-care, making sure you heal so that you're not living in trauma from your childhood, from your adolescence, from your early adulthood, late adulthood, any of the things that just give you the oof, um, having meaningful relationships and friendships, and then creating your life to be your life and not anyone else's. That's the stuff that matters to me.
2: Wow. Here, I, I really, truly believe that somebody's going to hear this um, conversation that maybe was thinking about giving up, and they're going to keep going. Um, so I, I am incredibly grateful for you and your time. Likewise. Your story.
1: Absolutely, likewise. Thank you all. This is, You all are always amazing, and I'm so glad that you've created this platform. Um, it's, it's very needed. So thank you for having me.
2: Yeah. All right, well, let's do it again oh. soon. And I think we'll, we want to have a conversation with your mom. Yes. Normalizing yes. The parent journey too. And Absolutely.
0: You're a rock star.
1: Likewise. Thank, thank you y'all. all so much for everything you all are doing. Thanks, have y'all. a great rest of your day. Bye y'all.
0: You can listen to this episode and all episodes on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or you can watch episodes on YouTube. And if you're interested in being a part of the New Hope mission, Please visit newhope treatment.com for more information. Again, that's newhope treatment.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.